Lord, we thank you so much for just the opportunity to be here as brothers and sisters in Christ on this Lord's Day. Uh, we thank you for all those that are teaching our children. Uh, we thank you, Lord, for those that are ministering in so many different ways today. We ask that you just fill us with your spirit as we look at your word. We pray, Father, that you'd help us to grow uh, in our own understanding of the gospel, how we preach it to ourselves, how we can share it with others. <clears throat> help us to overcome our fears. Um, fill us with your spirit so that we may, Lord, really cooperate with you in this commission coming alongside of your mission to share the gospel with the world for your glory. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so the main question that we're asking is, how is God using us to accomplish the Great Commission? And I really want to put the emphasis on us this morning. Um, part of my testimony is when I came to know Christ as my Savior at 14, the Lord really did put an early burden on, on my heart to want to share the gospel and to want to, I, I felt like perhaps I was being called to be a missionary as early as 14 or 15 years old. I didn't want to be a pastor because pastors just deal with whiny Americans and and deal with facilities and stuff like that. I want to go be radical and, and go to Russia somewhere and be a missionary because we all know that missionaries don't have anything to do with pastors, right? So I didn't know what I was talking about. Um, but early on, I did. <clears throat> I really struggled with fear. I, I, I saw the Great Commission. I wanted to talk to people about Jesus, but it would just make me so nervous. And then I would just be guilt guilt ridden <clears throat> about how much is enough. And and knowing, you know, I have friends and family, and am I sharing the gospel enough? And um, a lot of the motivation that I found in my early days of sharing the gospel were motivated by guilt that. That God is somehow, he has this great care for the world. People need the Lord. And God wants Christians to go out and share with them, but they won't go share. So God's really angry with all the believers, including me, because we're so selfish that we just want to stay home and watch TV and watch football. Um, we won't go out and share the gospel. So he's mad at us, but he cares about the world. And I just want to challenge that concept. I don't know if I'm the only weirdo here. But I want to challenge that concept that God loves his people. And it's out of when we understand Christ's love for us, that compels us. And that gives us the proper motivation to go out and share the gospel um, from the right type of motive. So let's just do a little bit of, we're going to talk about the Great Commission. Last week, uh, Dan talked about the resurrection. We, we saw that in the past... Um, that the resurrection gives us peace about our past, that our sins have truly been forgiven. The resurrection of Jesus gives us security in our present, realizing we're not alone. He is raised. And the resurrection of Jesus gives us hope for the future um, with our destiny with God, not just life after death, but to live with God. So there's a past, present, future aspect of the resurrection. What I want to do is draw a connection between the resurrection and this morning's lesson and, and you can just look at the screen or open up there if you wish, but Romans 10, one of these great evangelism passages says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart, what? What is it that we're to believe in our heart? That God raised him from the dead. So the resurrection is really central when it comes to the gospel. Raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So confess, believe, the resurrection, you will be saved. 
For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, so that belief in the resurrection is a believing unto righteousness, because Christ was raised because of our justification, Romans 5.20. And with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation, for whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. We call upon God's name, his character, and his authority. We shall be saved. Then Paul goes on this backwards kind of logic. He says, how then shall they call on him whom they have not believed? And on how, how shall they believe in whom they have not heard? How shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they're sent? As is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by what? The word of God. When we turn Paul's thinking backwards, which is really forwards, Here's what we have. He talks about being sent, preaching, hearing, believing, calling, saved. That's Paul's logic in reverse. What I want to point out is that there's actions and implied participants in this gospel commission um, kind of program here, so to speak. There's a sending that happens that involves God, the church and the proclaimers. So God is sending out this church, Cornerstone Fellowship Bible Church, and we're all proclaimers. We're going to talk more about that a little bit later. What does that mean for us to be a proclaimer or a preacher of the gospel? All of us are involved in the sending, and then we go out and preach or proclaim. That's God, the church, and the proclaimers. But then when it comes to the hearing part, that's God and them. You and I have no responsibility to make people hear, right? That's them. When it comes to believing, that's God and them. God will influence them to believe. They must believe, but we have no impact on that. Um, call. They need to call upon the Lord. That's God and them. And then when it comes to the saving, that is God alone. He's the only one that saves. And so really, as a church and as individuals, we have two responsibilities in this um, program for the Great Commission that Paul lays out for us in Romans 10. We are to send and to proclaim. Everything else is up to God and the listeners. They're either going to hear or they're not going to hear. They're going to believe or not. They're going to call or not. And it's up to God to save. So this morning when we're talking about the Great Commission as it applies to you and me here at Cornerstone, there's two responsibilities that we're really going to put our emphasis on. The other things are more we just believe and trust, but we do want to be involved in the sending and we do want to be involved in the proclaiming, whatever that looks like. So I'm going to title kind of our survey. We're going to spend a lot of time in Matthew 28. Actually, not a lot of time because I want to get to a lot of practical suggestions. So we're going to actually move through this pretty quickly. But um, I'm going to call this the divine use of human means to accomplish the Great Commission. Leave it to a pastor to complicate subjects, right? Um, so God is using human means to accomplish the Great Commission. If God wanted to, he could just do it all by himself. You know, in the book of Revelation, he's not going to use human means to proclaim the gospel. There's angels that are going to fly around the world proclaiming the gospel. He won't need human means. He'll do it through angels. God could use all kinds of things, but in this era... God is using you and me. He's using the church. 
to go out and proclaim the gospel, but it's really a divine prerogative. God is the one that's saving. We just have the opportunity to send and to proclaim. Does that make sense? So let's consider Matthew 28. Go ahead and open up there. I'm going to have my little block diagram behind me that helps me. Um, And we're going to make basically, I think, five points here from this text in Matthew 28. The first of which is this. The 11 go to meet Jesus on the appointed mountain. So they go to meet Jesus on the appointed uh, mountain. Let me get to my notes here. Okay. Um, So it says in verse 16, Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. Notice that there's only eleven disciples now. We know that Judas has gone away. This is the going before the go. They came to Jesus first. Before he commands them to go, they go to this mountain to meet with Jesus first. Um. So they're already going before the Great Commission. They're already obeying Jesus. Jesus had set up an appointment. He says, meet me here. And they did. They went to meet Jesus on this mountain. Uh, This is a mountain in Galilee. The implication is this is a place of isolation to meet alone with Jesus. Just Jesus and his disciples. He appointed them to meet him. This is a mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. And so they are keeping their appointment. We need to ask ourselves, are we keeping our appointments with Jesus? Uh, Moses, God told Moses in Exodus 34, meet me in the morning and I'm going to give you the law again. Moses got up, carved out the stones. That must have taken a long time. And then met the Lord in the morning. It's very important. If we're going to really be part of this sending, proclaiming mission that we need to meet with Jesus it's the love of Christ that compels us to go out and preach the gospel. If we're not meeting with Jesus first, then the mission can become uh, a guilt-ridden thing. All right. So, so these guys meet their appointment. Second, the 11 see Jesus, worship him, but some doubt. Let's look at verse 17. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. They saw the resurrected Christ. Dan talked about the resurrection last week. They saw Christ resurrected. What was their response? They worshipped him. So that means Jesus is God. We know Jesus is God. They worshipped him. We need to worship in order to be true evangelists. To really be a part of the Great Commission starts with our own personal worship and corporate worship. Evangelism flows out of worship, so they're worshiping him. But notice that some doubted. And who does that? Who do you think that refers to? Well, Thomas. Yeah. So Thomas is mentioned in the other gospel as as doubting. But this says some. So this must imply that it was more than Thomas that was really doubting. His name is mentioned in the other gospel, but there must have been others. And so this tells us that seeing is not always believing. Even though they're looking at Jesus, he's resurrected. They, you know, several of them saw him die and and now they're looking at Jesus and yet they're doubting. And so there needs to be a work of the spirit to overcome our doubt. And we're going to see that the Lord does overcome their doubt. This should remind us that as we go out to do our evangelism, 
that it's it's not so much about it's not always seeing it's not giving everybody all the the perfect evidence there's got to be a move of the spirit you know Jezebel um and Ahab Ahab saw God's fire come down and lick up the sacrifice and then he reported it to Jezebel what is Jezebel's reaction let's kill Elijah look at all the people that saw Lazarus raised from the dead half of those people said Let's kill Jesus and let's kill Lazarus. Pharaoh saw these 10 plagues. What did he want to do? Doesn't want to let the people go. Jeroboam, a man of God, sees the man of God prophesy, sees this altar break in half, ashes fall through. And then he points out at the guy, says, arrest him. His hand withers and then he's healed by the man of God. Does he get converted and start following Jehovah? No, he still goes out and worships Baal. So seeing is not always believing. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. These disciples come, they see Jesus, they worship. We're going to see that he does overcome their doubts. Thirdly, Jesus asserts that all authority has been given to him. Look at verse 18. Jesus came and spoke to them saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. All authority in heaven. That means all the principalities, the demons. Jesus has been granted authority over every uh, principality in the spiritual realm. On earth, it's kings, rulers, your neighbor next door, your children, your parents, whoever you're sharing the gospel with. Guess what? Jesus has authority over them. And who has given him this authority? Anybody know? The Father, so by implication, the Father. In fact, if you guys remember in John 17, 2, Jesus says, And you have given him authority over all flesh that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. So Jesus recognizes that he's been given authority over all flesh to give eternal life to as many as the Father has given him. So there's the, all of humanity, but then there's a subset of humanity that Jesus is going to give eternal life to. This has all been granted to him by his father. Does that mean that Jesus is not God if he's being given something by the father? No. What happened in just the previous verse? What, what were the disciples doing to Jesus? They worshiped him. Did Jesus rebuke them? No. So he received worship of a deity. So he's God. But we do see in this verse that there can be distinction between father and son and spirit. So there's equality and distinction within the Trinity. Yeah, Justice. Yeah, so the, the justice is asking when Jesus was pre-incarnate, didn't he already have authority over all creation, I guess by virtue of his creation? The answer is, is that there definitely were things within the in the incarnation where the father was pleased to grant authority to the son that was unique. So he comes, he dies, he's raised, and then he's seated at the right hand of the father and given a certain type of authority that was unique to him as a man. Um, so within the Trinity, we can talk more about this later when we do a lesson on the Trinity. There is an ordering between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Father is always officially first. The Son's always officially second. The Spirit's officially third. And so it's appropriate within the um, dynamics of the personality of the Trinity. The Father sends the Son. It's never the reverse. The Son never sends the Father. 
<clears throat> and then in human history, the son gr- gives things or the father gives things to the son and the father and the son give things to the spirit. So we could talk more about it later when we're talking about the Trinity, but it's an excellent question. So we've got this this authority thing going on. And so um, we see this fleshed out in the book of Acts. I'm not going to have you turn there. But as the apostles go out and begin to preach the gospel, recognizing that Christ has this authority, we see things like in Acts 13, 48, you can just write this down, that the gospel is being preached to the Gentiles, and as many as had been appointed to eternal life believed. That means all those that had been given to the Son by the Father believed. Acts sixteen fourteen, the Lord opened up Lydia's heart to hear the things spoken by Paul. Remember, we're not responsible to make people hear. We just send and proclaim. <clears throat> but as Paul was sent and as he proclaimed, God opened up Lydia's heart to hear, to heed the things spoken by Paul. And so that's the kind of authority that Jesus has. <clears throat> so we've seen first that the, that the disciples meet with Jesus. The disciples, secondly, worship Jesus. Thirdly, they're coming to be reminded of his authority, that he has authority over all flesh. Third, in this great commission, this divine commission where God chooses to use human beings, we see that therefore Jesus commissions them to go. And the therefore is a big deal. What is the therefore? Therefore. We need to keep that in mind. What's, why is that therefore there? Notice what it says, verse 19. Go, therefore... We're going to talk about it. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. Let's break this down. Therefore, because of the authority granted to me, I give you authority. I commission you to go. Because of the authority given to me, I'm now telling you, go. Remember in Acts 1-7, we won't turn there, uh, Jesus, in, in another passage that's talking about this uh, commission scene, Jesus says, It is not for you to know the time or the seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You're going to have power when the Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost. You're going to get this authority and power that you've never felt before. Holy Spirit's going to come. You're going to go out. So let's break this down. What is Jesus, in light of his authority, what is he telling them to do? There's really only one command here, and it's go. We're commanded to go as a church. And then there's all these participles that flow out of. Participles in English are those I-N-G words. Uh, If you were able to see the Greek, it was almost as like you would see I-N-G, only with Greek letters and their construction, right? So it's go with three different participles, making disciples, baptizing, and teaching. So let's look at those, those uh, participles. Go to make disciples. So the idea here would be preach here, believe, called, saved, right? We just, we just preach, we just send and preach, but then we depend upon them to hear, believe, call, and God to save them. Who are we to make disciples of? All nations, that's every ethnos, everybody, every every tongue, every tribe, every nation. In Acts 1.8, Jesus said, you're going to be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And as we make disciples, <clears throat> part of that disciple making is baptizing them. 
when someone is baptized, they believe, they call upon the name of the Lord, and then within the waters of baptism in the early church, they would be saved. They call, it's not the water that saves them, but it was normally within the, in the, within the water that people would call upon the name of the Lord to be saved. And they are baptized in the name, uh, which means the authority and character of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Name, singular, persons, plural, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Remember last week when I, uh, on the sermon, we talked about name. It's, it's, it's kind of a weird thing. You know, Katie doesn't tell me, you know, make sure when you take Sam up to Sugarloaf this afternoon that you keep him in your name, right? But we would talk about the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, character and authority. Let me tell you one little illustration to help us with the name here, even though this is a little bit of a rabbit trail. Several years ago when we were back at Linden Street, I told Lillian, who was our secretary at the time, I said, I've really got to get a lot of studying done today. Um, I really don't let anybody interrupt me. Don't bring any calls to me unless it's really, really important. So I'm in there studying. And then she knocks on my door and she says, uh, Pastor Mike, Dr. Richard Mayhew is calling for you. Dr. Richard Mayhew. That's John MacArthur's. That was John MacArthur's right hand man. He was the dean of the Master Seminary. Well, I'll take that call. So I, Dr. Richard Mayhew is calling for me. So I pick up the phone and, and uh, <clears throat> Dr. Mayhew is talking to me. And he says, uh, he says, uh, Mike, I've, I've been listening to uh, you preach the word of God on the website. And we'd like you to consider a call of God to come preach the word of God here at Shepherd's Conference this next year. And I'm like, wow, this is, this is incredible. Dr. Mayhew from Master Seminary is calling me to want to go teach at the Shepherd's Conference. And then after a few minutes, uh, Pastor Scott Bashur, a buddy of mine in Buena Park, says, hey, Mike, this is Scott. <laughs> and he's, he does this great voice of Dr. Richard Mayhew. He is his, pers- uh, what do you call it? His impersonation of Dr. Mayhew is incredible. I'll tell you, if Lillian had knocked on my door and said, Scott Bashur has called, I would have said, take a message. I'll call him back. But when she said, Dr. Richard Mayhew has called, I was like, I will take that call. Right. Why did I take the call from Dr. Richard Mayhew? Because his name precedes him. Right. Also, I'm probably doing partiality, practicing partiality. Right. Um, But the same idea, the name of Jesus Christ has authority and weight behind it. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Um, You know, same thing if I was in my office here today and, you know, I was I I really needed to get a lot done. But if all of a sudden President Donald Trump came to the campus and was walking, I would be jumping out of my office to go meet Donald Trump. Right. Um, But this is the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we're baptized in the name and the authority and the character of his name. All of the the mercy and the judgment and so on and so forth that we've talked about. And then teaching. We want to preach, hear, and believe. Continue to teach them to observe, like we observe a special holiday, to observe or obey all things commanded. That is the gospel. And so that's the big idea there of the going. We're going to make disciples, baptize, and teach. And then um, 
Fifthly, Jesus promises to be with them to the end of the age without a doubt. Notice he says, and lo, the idea here is behold, what I'm about to say to you is absolutely true and very important. There's no no doubt about it. Take it to the bank. It's a guarantee beyond a shadow of a doubt. No ends. What has it go? Ifs, ands, or buts about it. Lo, I am present tense with you. Not will be. I am with you. Always right there with you. Even to the end of the age. All the way up to the end of uh, this stage in human history. Which really makes this whole passage apply to the whole church of this age. If it wasn't for this particular statement, we might say that this only applied to the 11 disciples. But when he says, I'm with you even to the end of the age, this now applies to the whole church. Um, So we're to, to do this all the way to the end of the age. And when we look at the end of the age in Revelation, there's going to be worshipers from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation, right? Revelation 5, 9. Um, which you guys could look up on your own. The the gospel will have its effect. So in this particular Great Commission passage, I think we see, or at least we're going to delineate five basic points, is the disciples keep their appointment. They meet with Jesus. They worship Jesus. Jesus reminds them where the authority comes from. It's not from them. It's from him. <clears throat> Therefore, in light of that authority, you go. I want you to go, make disciples, baptize, teach. Your only real responsibility is to send and proclaim. All the other stuff is stuff that God's going to do. And here's a great promise to wrap all this up in a nice present for you. I'm going with you. I'll always be with you. I'll be with you to the end of the age. This promise will be fulfilled. And so we should never think that we're out trying to fulfill the Great Commission on our own. Right. The, the, the sport of the Great Commission is not golf. We're not by ourselves. It's a team sport. We're out with Jesus. We're out filled with the spirit and we're within the church. And that's one of the things I want to challenge us with as we look at some suggestions here. Um, practical suggestions for us in fulfilling the Great Commission. The Great Commission does not rest on your shoulders alone. I don't know. This is just probably my weird, psychotic way of thinking. But when I became a Christian at 14 and going throughout high school, there was a part of me that just kind of felt like I have this personal responsibility for the Great Commission. And if I don't go out and do it, then it's not going to get done. And and God's we're all going to fail. And God's going to be very angry and upset with me because people need the Lord. And if we don't go out and do the Great Commission, then God's very angry with his kids. And I, was, I just want to propose to you, that's not it. He loves his kids. He loves you. <clears throat> we get to participate because of his love. His love compels us to go out. And we're not going out by ourselves. We're with a team. Um, when I'm out by myself trying to preach the gospel, it's very intimidating. But when I go out with other people and I get challenged by other people, I get excited. We were at UCR this last year. <clears throat> went out there to, to go with Team Cornerstone to, to share the gospel. It was very encouraging to be with other people. I had this kind of silly statement that I made, kind of painted myself into a corner. I'm looking around, and I say to Shauna Langdon, I'm like, whoa, this would be a great place to do some open-air preaching. She says, 
Pastor Mike, you gotta do it. You gotta do it. She double dog dared me. What am I gonna do? I'm a pastor. So I said, okay, I'll do it. So the next day I come back and, and I'm driving there and everything in me wanted just to drive off to Chick-fil-A or some other place, right? But I'm like, what can I do? Shauna, Shauna double dog dared me. I have to accept this dare. <clears throat> so I got out there and my only plan was to preach one time but I got up and preached, and really it went well. It was like really encouraged. And, and there was some unbeliever that was listening to me, and she said, hey, this was a really neat message. Um, she didn't come to Christ, but she's like, you should go over there. There's a lot more people over there. I was like, really? <clears throat> so I went over to another area and got to preach uh, three or four times out at UCR. And I would, never would have done that, um, in that if, if Shauna hadn't double-dog dared me. So it's us, right? It's kind of us doing stuff <clears throat> together. So that's one thing that you guys can do for me is just if we're out sometime in public, just dare me. Say, oh, I dare you, Pastor Mike. You won't do it. Go out and just start preaching right now. What am I going to do? How can I, how can I back down from that? Um, all right, so let's talk about some suggestions here. <clears throat> um, this first suggestion, uh, actually, let me, let me just uh, qualify this first. There are dangers in giving methodological suggestions. What we've done is we've looked at the scripture, which I can say with the authority of Jesus Christ, we all should look at Matthew 28, pray through it, ask God to fill us with his spirit, and try to go out and do it um, by God's grace, right? When I start giving you guys practical suggestions, the authority level lessens, unless it's tied to scripture, but... I want to try to give some wisdom here. <clears throat> One of the, the challenges in giving suggestions is as soon as you start developing your methodology that's not directly tied to scriptures, um, one, I could unwittingly heap guilt upon you. And you could be like, oh, man, I could never do that. And you can feel guilty because you're not doing what Pastor Mike said when it's just a suggestion. The other thing is, is um, you, you could unwittingly start to judge me. Oh, he thinks he's so high and holy. I could unwittingly judge your methodology. You see how this goes? So we have to be very careful. The, the methods I'm suggesting are suggestions, but you follow the Lord. You, you try to put the scriptures into practice the way that you think is best. I'm just going to make some, some ideas here or throw out some ideas. Um, <clears throat> but we always, the other thing that can happen is sometimes if, if I'm sharing examples or testimonies, uh, unwittingly I could like, Maybe I could get proud. I could be tempted to be proud about what God has allowed me to do. When in reality, I'm just some fearful guy who's always, you know, scared and, and looking for weird things to motivate me out of my fear. Um, there's, I, it's kind of strange, but I've noticed, you know, the devil tempts in a lot of different arenas. He uses pride a lot. What I find odd is... When I've been involved in a lot of evangelism, evangelism ministries, evangelism teams, and I don't know if I've ever seen any one ministry that struggles with the issue of pride more than evangelism. That's kind of weird. But it makes sense, doesn't it? If evangelism is such a big deal for people to get saved and be transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, wouldn't the devil put a lot of his attack on evangelism, evangelism teams, evangelists? 
And so we do have to be very, very careful. We all want to evangelize. We want to get out and share the gospel. We also have to be constantly on guard for pride. Um, I say this. I'm trying. I don't, I don't know if I could say this without mixed motives. But I know a lot of open-air preachers. I know a lot of open-air preachers. And I love the job that they do. But some of my open-air preacher friends are some of the most arrogant people I know. And, and it's... I don't, why does that happen? You're out preaching the gospel. You're out preaching something that is meant to bring humility. And yet some of my open air preacher friend are some of the most judgmental and arrogant people. And they've got issues going on at home that they should be taken care of. And it's like, Lord, help us, help us protect us. And so we have to be very, very careful as I, as I bring these suggestions to you. Okay. Does that make sense? All right. Now you guys aren't going to hear my suggestions. Um, First one, this sounds weird. Put yourself first. Put yourself first. What do we mean by this? You have to put your own spiritual health and vitality first in order to be an effective witness and to help fulfill the Great Commission. First Timothy 4 says, Till I come, he's talking to a pastor, Timothy, give attention to reading, to exhortation, and to doctrine. Meditate on these things. Give yourself entirely to them that your progress may be evident to all. Take heed to yourself and then i'm implying to the doctrine continue in them for in doing so you will save both yourself and those who hear you paul's telling timothy save yourself first before you're worried about saving other people preach the gospel to yourself fill up your own tank get get filled up with the love of christ first for you and then you'll have the resources and right motivation if you don't do anything else that we talk about in this lesson, do this one thing. Get filled up with Christ for yourself. And then the other dominoes will start to fall. If you start way down the line and try to just get out and start preaching the gospel, a lot of times that's where pride kicks in because you're not filling up yourself. And then now all of a sudden you're Mr. Proud because you're actually doing what the Bible says and start judging other people. No, fill yourself up. Um, there's an article in the Gospel Coalition that talked about put on your own oxygen mask first, right? When you're on an airplane, they talk about those masks falling down. What do they say to the parents? Put your own mask on first, then the mask of your children. Why do they have to tell parents to do that? Because our inclination is, is we want to help our kids and then boom, we pass out. No, put your mask on first, then now you can breathe and help other people around you. I am of no use to anybody if Christ is not filling me up with the gospel and the Holy Spirit. And I can tell you by experience, I've done a lot of ministry where I was neglecting my own soul. and was out trying to help people, doing the best I can. And sometimes like Balaam, God, Balaam's donkey, God will use Balaam's donkey just like he uses me at times, right? Um, but when you are filled up with Christ first, now you've got the resources to make a difference because it's the power, it's the gospel really that's the power of God unto salvation. Does this make sense? So put yourself first. We say that facetiously. Put yourself first. Secondly, pray. Pray is huge to the Great Commission. Jesus says in Matthew 9, we talked about this a few weeks back. Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, healing every sickness, every disease among the people. 
But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep, having no shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. What's his next instruction? Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. He doesn't tell them to go at this point. And his, his first instruction to the disciples is pray. Just start praying. Pray about your unsaved family members and neighbors. Pray for yourself. Just commune with the Lord. So drink deeply of the gospel. Put your own oxygen mask on. Pray. Just talk to the Lord. Talk about how nervous you are. Talk about how fearful you are. Talk about your regrets. Lord, I really wish I would have shared with this person, but I didn't. I got afraid. You know, the Lord wants to hear all those prayers. Um, just just, just commune with the Lord about those things. The Lord's not going to chide you for it. Just talk to him. Thirdly, when it comes to the Great Commission, I think this is really, this really comes before even kind of the sending and proclaiming. Make holy choices that adorn the gospel. Make holy choices. If we're communing with Christ and praying, this will get easier and easier over time. Um, I'm not, it doesn't mean that the flesh and the world and the devil goes away, but we, we, we start to make these Holy Spirit choices and develop these nice habits, these good habits. Notice what it says in Titus 2. Older women likewise, <clears throat> that they be reverent behavior, not slanderers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they admonish the younger women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands. Why? That the word of God may not be blasphemed. That is, that the gospel. So you're to do make all these holy choices in order that the gospel doesn't get blasphemed. Likewise, young men, to be sober-minded in all things, showing yourselves to be a pattern of good works, um, in showing doctrinal integrity, reverence, incorruptible, sound speech that cannot be condemned. Why? That one who is an opponent may be ashamed, having nothing evil to say about you. And then to bond servants, he says, do, you know, don't answer back, don't pilfer, that the doctrine of God may be adorned. And so <clears throat> our... Our holy choices really have an impact on the gospel. Spurgeon says this, more than all, keep up a continual fire on the enemy by holy life. Nothing will more reprove sin than your holiness. If you cannot tell the stick it is crooked, you can prove it to be so by laying a straight one side by side with it. So put your purity before the impure and they will be effectually reproved. This comes in a section in a sermon where he's actually encouraging his congregation to to share the gospel. And um, in our life, there's times where you may have no idea, but just the way that you respond to a disobedient child in public, the way that you treat your wife, the way that you respond to people that slight you in a public setting can have tremendous impact for the gospel that you don't even know. And there's people watching you, even the way we repent. And when we fail and stuff like this, I just want to encourage you. When you fail, go back to number one. Go back to number one. Put yourself first. See more of Christ. Drink deeply. Repent. Humble yourself. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. And, and the Lord will help these, these dominoes start to fall. Yep. 
Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, so like, yeah, we'd just be in the workplace and someone walks up and says, what is it you have that that I don't have? You're so peaceful. You're, yeah, you've, you've got joy. Um, this is something that we should really be, by God's grace, rolling in our minds is, um, you know, <clears throat> that person that just cut us off on the freeway. Um, you know, what if we see them in the parking lot a few minutes later and I've got a gospel track in my pocket, but I've just been like really angry. Am I going to now walk up to them with a, with a gospel track? Um, you know, so this can be a really controlling element for us. Um, you know, I've noticed that sometimes when I'm in public places like studying or maybe I'm conversing, I'm meeting with someone and talk to them about, you may be having a meeting with somebody here at church. We're talking about things of the Lord, and I can notice people overhearing us. And I want to make sure that our conversation is is honoring to the Lord. Um, last thing you want to do is be out somewhere in public, and and someone just overhears you gossiping and 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 speaking cruelly about other people. Um, you know, those are those are things that we'd want to repent of if we fall into them. Fourthly is love your family. This kind of flows out of number three, but one of the ways that we that we can fulfill the Great Commission is by simply loving our family. First Timothy 5.8 says, But if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his own household, he has denied the faith, that is, he's denied the gospel, and is worse than an unbeliever. So by not pro- by providing for your family, guess what? You're preaching the gospel. By going out and just being a good provider and loving them in that way. There's other passages that talk about the encouragement. Um, one of the things that I that kind of pops up, that a statement that I pray through and think about on a regular basis is this. Every time I love my wife, I am preaching the gospel. When in private, I am preaching it to her, myself, the angels, the demons, and the devil himself. When in public... I extend that gospel preaching to my children, my church, and to the world. The call to love my wife is the first, the greatest, and the most strategic plan of evangelism Christ has for me as a married man on planet Earth while my wife and I live on it. And I really believe that. That just by loving my wife in a private and a public way, I am preaching the gospel. Uh, Even in the way that I might apologize or repent, you guys have probably heard the story where Milton and Donna, Milton has shared this from the pulpit, that they were at a public place trying to work through a problem and somebody came up to them and just said, I am really blown away by you guys trying to work through this issue together. He said, I'm sorry I was overhearing, but I'm really blessed. It was an unbeliever. He didn't say the word blessed, but he was just just impacted by Milton and Donna trying to work through marriage issues at like a restaurant. And um, and so even things that you think aren't good, you know, can turn out for good. Uh, we're getting to some other points here, but um, number five, love your church family. That is cornerstone. Love your church family. First John four twenty says, if someone says I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother 
whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. I think in context here, brother is a brother in the Lord. This is not talking about a family member. This is not just talking about humanity. This is talking about loving people within the body of Christ. And so I think the the general idea here is, you know, if, if we say we love God, we're out evangelizing. I love God. I love God. You should love God. But then people see us back talking our brothers in Christ. We're back talking our church. They see us talking smack about other Christians. That just contradicts the gospel. So be very careful about how you talk about your brothers and sisters, even at home. You know, it can be, you know, there might be some things going on in the church that you and your wife need to talk about. Don't don't talk down about church members in front of your children. Um, Don't belittle what the Lord is doing through this broken body in a public way and thus bring shame to Christ. Speak well of the church. Love your brothers and sisters in Christ. And that's one of the ways that you can actually preach the gospel. Um, And then get on the lookout. I want us to open up to Acts 18. Open up to Acts 18. Get on the lookout because Christ's precious people are literally everywhere. So Acts 18 Uh, You've got Paul in Corinth. Corinth is a wicked, wicked city. Uh, We might think that the United States is growing more wicked. The United States is Disneyland compared to a place like Corinth. I won't even go in. I can't even talk about the type of immorality that was going on publicly in Corinth. It is so depraved. But notice, so Paul, he's preaching the gospel. He does some tent making. He comes to Aquila or... uh, across Priscilla and Aquila, they're tent makers too. So they're out preaching the gospel in their spare time. They're working during the day out preaching the gospel. But then notice verse five, Silas and Timothy had come from Macedonia. Paul was compelled by the spirit testifying to to Jews that Jesus is the Christ. So Silas and Timothy show up. All of a sudden he gets compelled to go out and be more aggressive. Why? Because they double dog dared him. That's why, right? Something happened, right? He, all of a sudden he gets compelled because they show up. And, um, but then notice down in verse 9, he's been preaching the gospel. There are several people who believe. But then verse 9, now the Lord spoke to Paul in a night vision saying, do not be afraid, but speak and do not keep silent for I am with you. That comes from that promise. No one will attack you to hurt you. I have many people in this city. Jesus reveals to Paul, I have many people in the city. What does he mean by that? He's not just saying there's already people that are saved. He's not saying, oh, there's a lot of Jews here. No, he's saying there are many people who have been given to me. I have authority over all flesh to give eternal life to as many as have been given to me. There are many here who have been given to me, and I'm going to give them eternal life, and you're going to go find them. And so don't be afraid. There are many people here in this city. And we should understand that, that that's true all over the world. Um, Christ has his precious people ready to be found found all around the world and all around you and me. Every day when you go to work, when you go to school, when you go to the grocery store, there are people, you don't know who they are, we don't know who they are, all around us who have been chosen before the foundation of the world unto eternal life. They're just waiting to be found. 
And so if we open up our mouths and give a gospel track or talk to somebody, guess what? It's their lucky day, as it were. Um, so how can we find them? I want to make a, this is a totally in the suggestion level. This is just something I've been doing lately. Um, and so I don't know if any of, anybody ever done any geocaching? Anybody have any idea what geocaching is? Okay, a few of you people. Okay, so I've been doing this thing. Um, actually, let me read this quote from John Gill first. John Gill says this, Toward these, Christ's heart always is. His eye is upon them. He knows them where they are and therefore he will look them up and find them out and they shall be brought to believe in him and shall not perish but have everlasting life and for the sake of these in order to select and separate them from the rest is the gospel preached and continued to they are brought in i love that quote so john gill just speaks of christ that he's always on the look for them and he's using us to go find them one of the things that i've been doing is this thing that i'm calling geocaching with jesus Geocaching with Jesus. I, over my vacation, I got hooked into this thing called geocaching accidentally, where Sam and I started going out. And basically what geocaching is, on the left is my little profile on my phone, my app. Is, it's like little hidden treasures that you can go around and find all over the world. And what you see, what I've shown is, this is just a map of our area of all the little treasures. The green things are unfound treasures. All the happy faces are treasures that Sam and I have found. When I say treasures, a lot of times it's just like a little tiny container that's hidden somewhere. Sometimes these micro containers with magnets, they're hidden on metal signs and you pull them down and there's a little log in there, you sign it. It's just a, it's like a big worldwide game, game of hide and seek. And it's a lot of fun just to get out up in these hills up here, Sugarloaf. There's all kinds of crazy ones. And so it's something fun you can do with your family. But I'm, I'm looking at my app and I'm noticing some of these people have found like 50,000 of these caches since this thing started. How many must you find per day to have accumulated 50,000? And some of these people have these streaks that they're trying to keep going. They want to ha find at least one cache a day or they want to find two caches a day or there's all these different challenges. And there's people that are doing this with no real eternal value. And they, but they run around and find these treasures all the time. I'm like, Jesus has his precious ones all around us, just like we have geocaches all around us. We just need to find them. What if I went geocaching with Jesus on a daily basis? And I'm just like, Lord, bring me to the people that you're wanting to find. And what if I were to try to set up some goals just for myself, like some of these geocachers do? What if I made some goals like, Lord, I pray that I could find at least be able to attempt to find one person a day because I know they're all around and to kind of challenge myself that way. So one of the things that I've been doing is I'm trying to keep my geocaching with Jesus statistics, so to speak, above my geocaching statistics. Does that make sense? So my son and I will go out, and we'll do our little geocaching thing, have fun, you know, whatever, go find a treasure. But I'm trying to really make my geocaching for Jesus the higher priority. We'll come back to that in a second and show how that works. Um, so seventh, set a realistic goal for yourself. Um, you guys have heard the whole adage, if you aim at nothing, you are what? Sure to hit it. You aim at nothing, you're sure to hit it. We all know that it's the responsibility of the church 
to go out, we're to send and to proclaim. We all do it together. Not everybody has got the gifts of speaking. Some of us have the gift of service, but we can work together on this thing. Um, I don't know. I do believe there is such a thing as a gift of evangelism. I do believe that I don't have it, but I do believe that I'm called to evangelize. Does that make sense? There's there's lots of gifts in the Bible. Not all of us necessarily have all those gifts, but all of us are called to do those gifts, even if we don't do them so well. So I do evangelize, even though I don't think I have the gift of evangelism. But what are some goals that you could set? You could say to give or participate in some gospel witness at least once a day in 2019. That could be a goal. Like, hey, geocachers go out and do it. I'm going to go out and do it. I'm going to try to at least give a track or send a text or forward one of Pastor Milton's sermons or direct somebody to our website or invite somebody to church. There's all kinds of things you can do once a day. Or you might say to give or participate in some gospel witness at least once a week or twice a week. It's really up to you. This is not Bible, right? You pray, but set a goal. Kind of say, Lord, what is something that by your grace... I could go out and accomplish either with my family or with my care group. What could we do to where by the end of this year, I could be like, whoa, I didn't think I could do that. But look, and let me just give you one suggestion. It's normally when you set goals for yourself, it's it's normally best to try to set a goal that's higher than you think you could really attain on your own. Like if you just set a goal down here that you know is attainable, then you get to the end of the year like, yeah, I knew I'd do that. But if you set a goal that just seems, ah, that's, that feels a little bit ridiculous. So we want it realistic, but also something that you have to reach for and that you really have to cry out to God for. Lord, help me. I'd, I'd like to try this. This, is, this should not be a, something that you legalistically hold yourself to and that you're beating yourself up about if you don't accomplish it. But it's something that you're shooting for. Does this make sense? I hope this will challenge you. So... Um, and then get some tools in training. Get some tools in training. One of the tools I use, I put it back there on the table. It's a Mitsuo Fuchida track. Um, I got them back there. What I've been doing lately is I always have one of those in one of my pockets. I, I like to wear coats this time of year. I've got them stuffed in my coats. I've got them stuffed in my pockets. And so when I'm walking around, my mind is turning now. I'm geocaching with Jesus. I'm looking around. I'm walking around. All of a sudden, I see somebody come out of a store. I'm about ready to go into a store. It looks like they're kind of hanging out for a little bit. I go up and say, hey, did you get one of these yet? Oh, what's that? Oh, this is a pamphlet about that guy, Mitsuo Fuchidu, who led the attack on Pearl Harbor 77 years ago. You know, you ever seen the movie Tora, Tora, Tora? He's that Japanese guy that planned the attack, bombed Pearl Harbor. Ten years after the war, he goes back to Pearl Harbor and asks for forgiveness. Why would a guy do that? Because he had come to receive Christ's forgiveness for himself and then went back to ask for forgiveness of the people per harbor. It's a crazy story. Check it out. See you later. That's all it takes. I'll do that. And then if the person wants to keep talking, I've gotten into conversations with people for 15 minutes, 20 minutes. I've had, but the thing I love about that track is when I start to give it, here's the typical reaction. Here, why don't you uh, snap, Alan? Act like you're going to give me a track. I'm, we're walking to each other. You're going to start giving me a track. That's the f- reaction when you normally are starting to hand a track to somebody, right? And then, but once I start telling them what it is, this is about Mitsuo Fuchido, led the attack on Pearl Harbor. Oh, oh, okay. I mean, look at that. 
almost universally, that's the reaction I'm getting is I start to hand somebody a track, they start to move away from me, I, I take five seconds to tell them what it is, they come right back towards me and they take it. And then my son and I will see them later like reading it at their table in a restaurant, something like that. So, you wanna, so if you want to try that tool, read through the track so you're familiar with the story, obviously. It gives his full testimony, it shares the gospel. Um, I like it just because people read it. People take it, they read it, and there's only been a handful of cases where people refuse to take it from me. Most people take it from me. Um, so it's a, it's a really killer story, which we could go into later at some time. The other thing I want to suggest to you is, is an app that we're experimenting with, and you guys are going to be the beta testers for us, um, called The Story. What we're going to do is we're going to watch a movie real quick, and then I'm going to have you guys download this app later. And then we're probably going to have to pick this up next week. But this is a, a, an evangelism app that is really, really awesome. I don't know that I've ever seen anything quite like it. And so let's go ahead and watch. The movie's really short. It's about five minutes. Let's watch that. And then we'll, we'll finish up. So this is uh, the app that we're going to have you guys download. Your homework this week is to download this app. You can get it on Google Play or App Store, The Story. Um, uh, the organization is called Spread the Truth. But we want you to download the app and, and we want you to share this movie. And so just, just to, as we finish this up, you'll see the icon on the right there. The thing that's really cool, so if you just go story for us slash Cornerstone Bible, so we've been able to create our own account. And then if you send out, if you share it using the Cornerstone Bible address, which is, that's the way you're, we're going to ask you to, to send it out, um, we will be able to keep track of all the, met, the metrics. So as, if people watch it, if they respond, I will be able to see, like right now there's 114 people who have watched the video since I've sent it out. Um, and so, and, and we can also follow up on these folks. So it's basically four parts. In the future, we'll talk about these four parts. We'll do this next week on, on how to share the four different aspects of the gospel track. Uh, on the app, you can actually flip through and share the gospel on the app. There's also a physical track that we've ordered that we could, you can share. As you're sharing with people the gospel, you can click on the verses and the verse comes right up immediately. You don't even have to open up your Bible. You just click on it. Boom, there's the verse. You can read them the verse. Um, and then they can respond. You can talk to them about how to respond to the gospel. Um, if you want to share, and when you go to the app, you'll be able to hit share. And there's ten, about 10 different prompts on how to share it. Like, um, nature was made beautiful on purpose. This short film explains why. Is there a hope for the world? This short, this story says there is. And then immediately it'll pop up on your phone and allow you to either text or email or share the way that you want to share. Um, when they open up what you've shared with them, so if your friends or family open it up, they'll be able to click on the video um, and then they can also respond to it. Um, if they go to the website, they can also flip up through it. We'll show you guys that next week. 
One of my baseball players, I sent it to him. On the left is my text to my old baseball player. This is what it looks like when he receives it. Ask a question. Yes, I want rescue. Or he can just click on his phone and watch the movie. And it, it just, I was able to text while I was working on Sunday school. I texted out like 13 invites to watch this movie to 13 unbelievers within about like five minutes. It took me five, maybe 10 minutes to share this with that many unbelievers. And then I responded myself just to see what would happen. Um, someone said yes to Jesus. And then I asked a question. And so it sends me the question. And also somebody from this ministry, which is a very reputable ministry, will also answer the questions. So we, if you send out someone, if they respond to this and ask a Bible question, it'll come straight to me right now. Um, and then there's the physical track. All right. So and then lastly, just you can also direct people to our website. Our website is updated if you want to go check it out. Um, it's a great way to witness. Just send people to the website. We've got our sermon page now. You can share our sermons. I sent out uh, Pastor Milton's Christmas sermon. I sent it out to one of my son's co-workers and just said, hey, Hugo, check this out. And he, he listened to it. He listened to the whole message. Um, so there's all kinds of ways. I'll be up here if you have questions. We're going to pick this up next week and go into some more of the details of the practical. Um, but what is your homework? Download the app and share with one person this week. It's very simple. You, once you, if you need help on downloading the app, I can show you how to do it up here. But to share, it takes you literally 30 seconds to share it. It's called The Story. So go into your Apple or Google Play, The Story, and then you'll see kind of like that golden crown thing. <clears throat> um, and if you need to type in more details, you can say the story, spread the truth. So if you look right here, <clears throat> it kind of looks like that, that image that you see in the middle there. That's what you're looking for. All right, let's go ahead and pray. And I'll be up here if, if you guys have questions. We've gone over, so I want <clears throat> to let you guys go. Lord, thank you so much for this opportunity for us to consider the Great Commission. We pray, Father, that you help us to be motivated by your love, to be compelled by your love for us, not by guilt, but for love and glory. <clears throat> we pray, Father, you'd help us to not just feel that evangelism is an individual sport. It's really a team sport as we're all on your team out finding the precious ones that are going to come to you. We just get to participate. So help us to go out in faith. We pray, Father, that as you lead, that we be able to use these tools available to us. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.